Today's scripture comes from Jonah 4, verses 1 to 11. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in, in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? You may be seated. And as you see it, let me pray for us once more. Yes, yeah, so Father, we come before you now asking you to speak to us through your word. God, we need our lives shaped by you. We need to see your son Jesus more clearly. Lord, so by your spirit, come and do that work now, we pray. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray, amen. Well, this morning, we come to the final chapter of our book in our time in Jonah, probably the most intriguing uh, of our chapters as well. Jonah is the only Old Testament prophet who has a mission explicitly to Gentile people, to a nation that is outside of Israel. And so God tells Jonah to go, and Jonah says, no thank you, and runs in the opposite direction. And so God's been pursuing Jonah, eventually bringing Jonah back. Jonah goes to Nineveh eventually after being swallowed up by a fish and vomited back out onto shore. And Jonah then preaches this five-word message in Hebrew. It's eight words in English. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. There's no mention of grace. There's no uh, Roman road, no, no tract that's being handed out. You don't, you don't, you didn't do the two chasm picture. God's on this side, us on this side, and there's a cross that allows us to walk over. None of that, just the simple message, which in many ways is supposed to sabotage, I think, the city. And the city repents. They, they have a change of heart. They repent of their wickedness. And so we read in uh, Jonah 3 verse 10, when God saw what they did, 
how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. He spares Nineveh. And how does Jonah respond? Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And so we're confronted with this deep theological question, what the heck? You just experienced the greatest revival and you're upset about it, Jonah? What, what, what's going on in your heart? Why is Jonah upset that God didn't destroy Nineveh? In, in 1961, Adolf Eichmann, he was a SS officer and a colonel in the Nazi army. He was, uh, one of the brains behind the death camps. He stood trial. In, in Israel, it was publicly televised. And one of the witnesses called to bear testimony against him was a man by the name of Yehiel Denur. Uh, Denur was one of the survivors in Auschwitz. And so he walked into the courtroom. He saw Denur standing on the stand. And he fell down and he collapsed. He began to just sob profusely. Everyone's watching this happen. T 20 years later, Denur was actually on 60 Minutes. He was interviewed, and they asked him, why, why did you collapse? Why, why were you crying? Were you afraid? Were you reliving trauma? Were you angry? And he said, no, no, it was none of that. He said... I saw Eichmann standing there and I realized he was no superhero villain. He said he was no demon who sent so many to their death. He said Eichmann was just an ordinary man. He quote, I quote him, he says this, he says, I was afraid about myself. I saw that I was capable to do this. I am exactly like he. Eichmann is in all of us. He's in all of us. Why is Jonah unhappy that Nineveh is not destroyed? I think Jonah's been looking at the Ninevites like they're a window. Like he's looking through them and perceiving them as other. But what Jonah should be doing is he should be looking at the Ninevites as a mirror. He should look at them and see not an other, but should see himself in them. He should see his own brokenness and evil. Only when we come to see our own sin, our own faults, our own evil, and yet at the same time God's love for us, are we excited to participate and see others experience that same mercy. We have to come to grasp with our own mercy if we are going to extend it towards others. So here's, this, here's what I want to do this morning. I want us to hold, see Jonah, and I want us to see him as a mirror for us, and, and we want to see two things about ourselves. I want us to see our anger and God's mercy. Our anger, God's mercy. Here we go. Our anger. Look at, look at verse 1 again. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was anger, angry. Uh, anger is not always bad. Uh, there are instances in the Bible when Jesus actually gets angry. 
So one of those instances is Jesus standing before the tomb of his friend Lazarus, who's now dead. And Jesus, it says, the Bible says that he was deeply moved. If you literally translate that, it was, he's snorting with rage. That's the language there. He's like a wild horse who's snorting with rage because all of a sudden, why is Jesus upset? Why is Jesus angry? It's because sin has killed the very person he loves. Sin is destroying the world. And so Jesus was angry. In the temple, Jesus flips tables. He's angry. And the reason he's angry is because these merchants are selling goods, not just anywhere in the temple, but specifically in the court of the Gentiles. That section of the temple grounds was the one section where the surrounding nations could come and worship the Lord. And Jesus goes, what are you doing? You're preventing the outsiders from being able to experience my mercy. And so that makes Jesus angry. Anger anger is not always bad. One one pastor, he he, um, defines anger this way. He says, anger is, I quote, Energy released in defense of something we love. Energy we re- energy released in defense of something we love. And so what's Jonah angry about? L- look at verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I know... I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I knew it, God. I knew this about you. You'd find a way. This is just what you do. You'd find a way to forgive them. You'd find a way to show them steadfast love and mercy. And that's why I ran away. I wasn't, I wasn't scared for my life. It's not like the mission was necessarily going to be hard. That's not, that's not why I ran away. Ultimately, I ran away because I didn't want them to be forgiven. So let's, let us see if we can understand where Jonah's coming from. Um, Nineveh was a brutal and wicked nation. Assyria, the, this, this nation that they belong to, just, just in, incredibly evil, brutal. Um, a number of years ago, archaeologists uncovered ruins in Nineveh. Uh, it's outside of just Mosul, Iraq, just a little bit outside um, Mosul, Iraq, and they uncovered these uh, ruins from Nineveh. And one of the things they found were the royal grounds, it's where the king lived and all the nobles. And um, in that area, they, they found these carvings. I have, a, I have a picture of it. I'll throw it on the screen here. Um, they found these carvings. And what, what these are are basically they're pictures of the Ninevites' military exploits. So the king would walk through the grounds and he'd be reminded of all these great victories. Well, one of the things that they found was specifically... Um, images, sculptures from the Battle of Lashish. If you want, you can actually read this battle, take place, you understand what happens, in 2 Kings chapter 18. It's recorded in, in our Bible. And so there's a couple of pictures here. This is, this is one of them. This is from that battle. This is a battle of Nineveh against Israel, Jonah's hometown. 
And um, what you see is their people being skinned alive. Um, if, you go, if you go back, you can actually see that they're holding knives in their hands, skinning people. This is, this is what they celebrate. This is what they're, they're carving. The next picture, um, they are impaling people on trees. They carved up trees, put a point on them, and hung people. And so what you would see as an Israelite, your, your city has been under siege, and you stand on the walls, and you look out, and you see friends and family. You see loved ones being skinned to death and hanging on a tree. And so we go, Jonah, what are you, is, is that what you're angry about? Are, are you angry for your, your loved ones? Are you angry in defense of those who are vulnerable? But that's actually not why Jonah's angry. Jonah's not angry because he love, uh, loves others. Jonah's angry actually because he loves himself. Look, 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 at, look at verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The, the reason Jonah's angry is because he's building an identity for himself. And now his identity has blown up. And he feels like it, it's better to die than to keep living without his old identity. Uh, an identity is something that gives us meaning, purpose, and worth. It's something we go, that, that's why I live. This is my identity. This is what gives me value in life. And so what was Jonah's identity built on? It's built on his race. It's built on his race. He says in verse 2, he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? My country. It's me and those people. And I don't like those people. I don't like those non-Jewish people out there. We actually see that earlier in Jonah. Jonah 1 verse 8 and 9 says this. So then they said to him, right, he's in the storm. There's a bunch of sailors around him. The sailors are asking him, tell us, on, on whose account has this evil come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? Where is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Just leave it up on the screen for a second. Jonah's asked a whole bunch of questions. Who's your God? What's your occupation? And what's Jonah's first answer? You want to know something about me? I'm a Hebrew. Why is Jonah upset that the Ninevites get grace and mercy? God's kindness? Because he's a racist. It's me and those people. See, Jonah believed that God loved him because he was a Jew, and as a Jew, he would have had God's commandments. He, he felt like because he was following these commandments, he was better than those people. Sure, I'm not perfect, God, but at least I do a little bit of what you tell me I should do. That's why God's been kind to me. Because I'm a, I'm a morally upstanding citizen. But all of a sudden, Jonah sees God showing kindness to the Ninevites, and his identity and sense of value comes crashing down. 
Now, maybe we don't build our identity, maybe we do, on our ethnicity or race, but we do try to find something that gives us value and, and purpose in, in life. We, we try to distinguish ourselves. We draw a line somewhere that allows us to feel a sense of superiority and, and allows us to look down on other people. Um, one pastor gives this story. He says that there was once a man, it's, it's a make-believe story, there was once a man who was stranded on a desert island. And on this island, that he actually had all the necessary supplies he needed to live, and he was, he was fine. And so one of the things this man did is he decided to build a church. Um, but he didn't just build one church, he decided to build two, two churches. And eventually, uh, this man was found out, the, the search and rescue team finds him, and as they're walking through the desert, they, they notice, this is strange, there's, there's two churches. There's one man, but two churches, and they ask him, like, what, why did you build two churches? And he goes, um, well, don't you know, everyone needs one church to go to and one church to make fun of. <laughs> everyone needs one church to attend and one church to differentiate yourself from. This is my church, and at least I'm not like those crazies over there. And you know some of the things they do? <laughs> that's, that's what we do. We, we do that in life. So, some way or some form, we, we draw a line. So if you're um, educated... You look down on ignorant, uneducated folks who don't understand the nuances of life. Or the reverse is true. If you don't have some post-secondary degree, you look down on educated folk who are detached from reality and spend their time in books. If you're wealthy, you look down on the poor who couldn't make it in life. And if you're poor, you look down on the wealthy who are greedy and selfish. If you're put together, you look down on people who are undisciplined and have no self-control. And if your life is hard, you look down on people who seem to have the easy road in life. Things just handed to them. So Jonah goes, maybe I did try to run away. Maybe I tried to run away on a ship, even though you're the God who made the sea. Fine. But at least I don't skin people alive and hang them on a tree, God. So I'm better than them. We are desperate to feel loved. We, we want to feel like we matter. And we do this by trying to think of things that, that make us feel better than the people around us. But then God shows them kindness. And all of a sudden I realize, oh no. Maybe God hasn't been kind to me because of something I've done. Maybe it's not something in me that makes me better than them. And we're humbled. And the ground is flat. And that can be hard. Uh, Josh, our worship director, he, he told me this um, story. Um, in the 18th century, there was a, um, a period called the Great Awakening. It was this time in Britain where just there was incredible revival, very much so like in Jonah, where the masses were coming to faith in Jesus. Um, largely, this happened through three preachers, through George Whitfield, George Wesley, uh, John Wesley, and Charles Wesley. And one of these converts was a, a British aristocrat named Lady Huntington. 
And so Lady Huntington comes to faith in Jesus, and all of a sudden she wants to invite her other aristocratic friends to, to join her and to hear this preaching. And we actually have one of the letters that one of her friends wrote back to her. Uh, the Duchess of Buckingham actually wrote back to Lady Huntington, and she writes this. She says, It is monstrous to be told that you have a heart as sinful as the common wretches that crawl on the earth. This is highly offensive and insulting. And I cannot but wonder that your ladyship should relish any sentiments so much at variance with high rank and good breeding. She's angry. She finds it highly offensive and insulting that other people, other people who she thought the scum of the earth could get in on God's love. And she goes, I don't want anything to do with that God. She's built an identity on her pride, her wealth, her standing in society. And all of a sudden, that seems threatened. And so let me just ask you, what are you building your identity on? What is that thing that you feel makes you superior to everyone else? Is it something you've done or is it something God's done for you? Well, let me help you. One of the ways you know, one of the ways we know, I think, where we're building an identity outside of our relationship with God is when we get angry, <laughs> like, like, like Jonah. And so are you angry when a friend gets a raise and you feel like you've been overlooked? You feel like you're more deserving? Are you angry when maybe a friend compliments uh, another mom? or another dad on how they're parenting. Because you're, you're building your identity, you're deriving your worth from being a good parent. Are you angry when someone cuts you off in traffic and all of a sudden you tell them where they're from, where they should go, how they should get there, and you throw in something about their mom while you're at it, might as well, because you feel like you deserve better. You, you should be respected. Who do, who do they think they are better than me? cutting in front of me. i got places to go. I'm important. What gives you worth? Our anger should help us realize that we're not better than anyone else. And yet, and yet, because of God's mercy, we're actually far more loved than we could ever imagine. So let me talk about our second point then. God's mercy. God's mercy. Look, look at verse 3 with me again. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah's raging. He's looking inward. Life's, life's all about him. And so God comes to Jonah, verse 4, and the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? God's response is one of gentleness. He answers with a question. Again, he's pursuing Jonah. Again, he, he gives him another chance. He's trying to pull him out of himself and, and kind of reshape his identity. Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Think about it. And Jonah responds, verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. No answer. Some, some habits die hard. <laughs> 
God's been speaking to Jonah. And what does Jonah normally do? He just runs away. I don't want to talk to you. Don't, don't try to tell me that you know better, God. Just, just kind of ignore you and, and run away. And so Jonah, he, he goes to the east of the city and he makes a booth for himself. It says he sat under it in the shade till he should see what should become of the city. Jonah gave God an ultimatum. God, it's me or them. You can pick one that lives. And Jonah goes, I'm still alive. So maybe God's still going to kill Nineveh. And so he gets up top of the hill, puts out his little beach chair. He's just reclining. Just, just win to watch the show. God, just bring down the fire. Can't wait to see it happen. So God goes, okay, the simple question didn't work. Let, let me try another tactic. Verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. This is, this is super interesting. Okay, follow along with me. That, um, that word discomfort in verse 6 is literally the word in Hebrew, evil. Evil. It's the Hebrew word, ra'ah. It's evil. And, and that word, ra'ah, can be translated a, a number of different ways. In Jonah, in the book of Jonah, it's translated a number of different ways. It's translated as uh, disaster, discomfort, displeasure, and evil. And so in Jonah, there are a number of things that are evil. The Ninevites are called evil. The storm is considered evil. And now Jonah calls God evil. He, in verse 1, it literally says this. Okay, so we, it says in our translation, it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. Literally, it says... It was evil to Jonah, exceedingly evil, and he was angry. That word ra'ah is in that verse twice. It was evil, exceedingly evil to Jonah, and he was angry. What's evil to Jonah? God. <laughs> God's evil, Jonah thinks. If evil is going against God's plan for life, um, it's pushing back against God, whether in action or in attitude. What does that make Jonah? <laughs> I love the way one uh, commentator put it. He says, of all the evils in Jonah, of all the ra'ahs, Jonah is the worst ra'ah of them all. Jonah's the worst evil of them all. Jonah ran from God. Jonah's the reason the storm came upon the sailors and nearly killed them. Jonah was asleep and indifferent in the boat while the rest of the sailors were suffering. Jonah's full of pride in the belly of the fish. Jonah tries to sabotage Nineveh with his awful message. Jonah's a bigot and a racist. And Jonah calls God evil. He's the worst evil of them all. But what does God do? Verse 6, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his evil. Jonah, you're the worst and I'm still coming after you. I'm still trying to love you and show you mercy. So God appoints the plant. And then verse 7, and when dawn came upon them the next day, God appointed a worm. 
Finally, God can appoint a large fish, also point a tiny worm, and it came up the next day and attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, verse 8, God then appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And if that's not funny, then this is hilarious. Verse 9, So God said to Jonah, he's going to ask him the same question, but a little different this time. Do you do well to be angry? How about now, Jonah, for the plants? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Yes, I'm so angry. I'm so angry about the plant going away. This is what infuriates me. And God goes, okay, I can actually work with that. Okay, I can work with that. So he goes this in verse 11, okay? Or verse 10. And the Lord said, okay, you pity the plant for which you did not labor. You didn't make it grow. It just came into being in a night and it perished in a night. You love the plant, Jonah. Great job. Okay, actually, I'm with you. Mercy's good. The plant showed you mercy. Mercy's good. Verse 11. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? It's like the end. Go home. (laughs) That's the end of the book. I think this is the point. I think the point is this. Okay, God goes to Jonah. Jonah, you love mercy. You love that plant when it showed you mercy. And that's a good thing. Man, Jonah, I love mercy. That's why I'm running after you. That's why I'm chasing you, constantly chasing you, trying to draw you back to myself. You're the worst evil of them all, Jonah, and I'm still running after you. So yes, I love mercy. But Jonah, if you received that mercy, can I not show that mercy to Nineveh too? Not just to one person, Jonah, but to 120,000 persons and cattle. We'll talk about that next week. But why can't I show them mercy then? And he says, look, the Ninevites, they don't know the right hand from their left. This is a, a Hebrew idiom. This, it's a phrase that's talking about not having God's law. So in the book of Deuteronomy, we read this. It says, you shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. There's that phrase. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land you shall possess. So Jonah had knowledge of right and wrong. But the Ninevites didn't. Sure, they they had a sense of this is bad and this is good, but they didn't actually know clearly how they were supposed to live, live their lives. And so God's going to Jonah, Jonah, you know better even, and I showed you mercy. But they don't know. So why are you so upset with me showing them mercy? Jonah, if you really grasp the mercy I showed you, does that not change your heart? Does that not get you excited to see that same mercy, that same thing? Look, there's only one time in Jonah where he's happy. You know what that is? When he's shown mercy. (laughs) He's happy about him being shown mercy, and he's infuriated when others are shown mercy. 
But if we're shown mercy, then you, we should also be excited when others are shown mercy. So the book ends with a question. Jonah, how do you feel about mercy? There's only one other book in the Bible that ends with a question. It's actually the book of Nahum. And the book of Nahum, interestingly enough, also deals with Nineveh. The book is all about Nineveh. And the very end of the book, Nahum chapter 3, says this. Your shepherds are asleep, O king of Assyria. Your nobles slumber. Your people are scattered on the mountains with none to gather them. There is no one easing your hurt. Your wound is grievous. I'm bringing judgment, God's saying. And all who hear the news about you clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not come your unceasing evil? It's a question. And the last word is ra'ah. If Jonah ends with a question, can I not show mercy? Nahum ends with a question, can I not also punish evil? And so where do we see that happen? Where does justice and mercy actually happen together? It's the cross. It's the cross of Jesus. At the cross, we come to see God punish evil. We come to see just how bad our sin is. Man, the Son of God had to come down. That was our only hope of rescue. That's how bad we are. And that Son of God, Jesus, was bloodied, flogged beyond recognition, had nails driven through his hands and his feet. He died on the cross. That's what we deserve. That's a picture of how bad our sin is. And yet at the very same time, God goes, do you not also see how loved you are? The Son of God came down to die for you. That's how crazy he is about us. That the God of heaven would leave his throne and condescend so that we might belong to him. And that should just overwhelm us with joy. Deeply wicked and yet incredibly loved. All because of the cross. See, this is what Jonah didn't know. Jonah didn't know that he, get this, just like the Ninevites, also would hang someone on a tree. Jonah is also the reason Jesus is hanging on the tree. Right outside the city. Everyone looking at him, mocking him. John Stott said, before we can understand the cross as something done for us, we have to understand the cross as something done by us. We hung Jesus on the tree. He died because of our sin. He died to pay our penalty. And if we could just grasp the magnitude of the cross, if we could just see what the cross says about us, man, that would change our identity. And that would change the way I look at those around me. Miroslav Volf, he says this. He says, forgiveness flounders, or mercy flounders, if you like. Because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. Let me say that again. Forgiveness flounders, because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, 
even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. But no one can be in the presence of the God of the crucified Messiah for long without overcoming this double exclusion. When I look at the cross, when we look at the cross, we see that we're no better than anyone else. We're not in some superior category. And yet, if there's mercy for me, man, then there's mercy for you too. So back to the question. Jonah, verse 11, should I not show mercy to Nineveh? And we kind of want to know how Jonah responds, right? But I think that's the point. I think it's like God pulling back this arrow. He fires this question at Jonah. And then Jonah just goes, you answer it. How do you feel about mercy? Have you come to confess your brokenness and depravity? Are you still searching for an identity outside of Jesus? Or have you received his mercy? And does that make you excited about showing it to others? Let me pray for us. Father, so we need your spirit now to come do a convicting and an encouraging work. God, looking to the cross, we, we see our sin, but we also see your love for us. And God, I pray that truth would go all the way down into our hearts and just be an explosion that changes us from the inside out. God, help us to love others, to love our enemies, to love those who hurt us. God, because we are secure, secure in the love of Christ. God, we are yours. We are your children. We are the prodigal son, come back home, father running out, arms open wide, welcome back, my son. I love you. Here, take my robe and take my ring. I'm crazy about you. God, if we are in Jesus, that's what you feel about us. Help us to believe that, we pray. In his beautiful name, amen.